Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I've been giving uh, this series that um, uses the, the principles that I'm uh, sharing in, that, in my uh, Awakening Joy course, uh, which goes out to a lot of people who are not practitioners uh, wanting to explore in greater depth uh, from more Dharma standpoint um, these uh, principles of well-being and how they help awaken joy. Um, I'm wondering uh, how, how many people this week were at either the Tuesday or the Wednesday class. Okay, so there's a of you. I'm trying to figure out how much to, to say of that or to go right into the um, more formal uh, Buddha Dharma teachings. I'll just mention a little bit, and uh, for those who've, who've heard the, the background before, um, uh, keep a beginner's mind. We've so far covered intention the intention to incline the mind towards the highest happiness. And if one does that, then all the other happinesses uh, manifest as well. And then last week, the power of mindfulness and why it is the, the direct way, as the Buddha says, towards, um, towards realizing the highest happiness, overcoming sorrow, lamentation, grief, and despair, and opening to the highest happiness. Uh, tonight, a, a key topic in Buddhist teachings, and that is opening to suffering and why it is uh, so integral to awaken joy. You probably, um, if you've done any practice before, are familiar with the word dukkha. If you're not, that is what is translated often as suffering or unsatisfactoriness or stress or unreliability. The first noble truth, there is dukkha, there is suffering in life. And the Buddha said that he teaches about suffering and the end of suffering. The way to open to Real happiness is to understand dukkha deeply, to not flinch, to not pretend, to not um, be caught in a battle with, with it, but to somehow learn to open up to our suffering and the suffering in life. Because in that opening to it, in that being willing to open to it, we are uh, not contracting, and it's the not contracting in the allowing, in the keeping the heart open, that not only do we not add the layer of contraction and fear, but we open up to states of compassion, states of fearlessness, wisdom, clarity. And as if the heart can open to the difficult stuff, then it can certainly be there for all the pleasant stuff. Then every moment is, uh, is a moment that we can open up to. I'm not saying that you should have the unrealistic ideal that your heart should remain open every moment of the time. If you can do that and not be overwhelmed, if you can do that and still maintain a balance and presence and clarity, um, then you're probably a fully enlightened being. Uh, and if you can do it much of the time, uh, then that's quite extraordinary. There are times when we need to take care of ourselves, protect, close off, take a break. But the more we can learn to 
learn that we have the capacity to open when we have the energy, when we're not fatigued or stressed out, then um, we empower ourselves in many ways. And the Buddha said, and we've talked about this here, that uh, not only should we not keep it at bay, but we should daily reflect. We've gone through a series of of talks um, within this last year, the five reflections. We should daily reflect on the fact that this body will grow old. I'm not beyond aging. This body will become sick. I'm not beyond illness. This body will die. I'm not beyond death. Fourth reflection, everything near and dear to me I will be separated from. And I am the owner of my karma. My happiness, unhappiness depends on my actions. He said, think about this every day. Not to depress yourself. Not to, to feel, you know, uh, you know, because you're trying to cultivate uh, despair, depression, or suffering. But to inoculate yourself, to see what's true and keep that in mind so that when the truth comes, when the, the sorrow comes or the suffering or the loss comes or the illness comes, you are quite aware, oh yes, this is part of life. So he says not to be afraid of it because in that fearlessness we continue to open. Joseph uh, Goldstein, my teacher, simply puts it, anything can happen at any time. No matter how good you got it, you got your life together, wow, I've been working hard to get my life together, finally it's working. Anything can happen at any time. But with a depth of practice, we can meet it. And I want to share, uh, I didn't share it this week in the in the class, I I think I've read this uh, last year, a letter from a friend who I just happened to hear from today. I haven't heard from her in in a while. Uh, It's a great letter if I can find it now. Just uh, really inspiring about the, the possibilities of staying open to the hard stuff. Here it is. This is a letter from um, my friend Abaya, also known as uh, Sandy Kapka, who used to be uh, um, uh, on staff at Spirit Rock. This is a year ago. Dear friends, I hope this finds you well and happy. I've had an interesting week and have have some news to share. As Joseph likes to remind us, anything can happen at any time. A physical therapy appointment led to an ER visit, which led to a CAT scan, which a few days later led to an MRI, which yesterday brought me to a neurosurgeon who showed me the MRI images which reveal a rather large tumor in my brain. No matter how I say it, it sounds so dramatic. The practice, the Dharma makes it workable. I've never been more grateful for my practice. There are naturally some emotional ups and downs, yet there is also being very present and a surprising amount of the intensification of the wonder of it all. As you know, this is a peaceful and amazing place to be. The fear slips in early in the morning when I'm barely awake. But the hours and hours of loving-kindness practice I've done over the years also slip in. The Buddha knew what he was doing to bring that in, in as an antidote to fear. The neurosurgeon believes he can remove most of the tumor, but not all of it. He will not know the full ramification of that until he knows what kind of tumor it is, which he won't know until he's in there. Whatever it is, I'm looking at least at two to three months of recovery time. As Ajahn Chah liked to say, say, 
It's uncertain, isn't it? I'm still holding out hope for that long retreat. I discovered that just trying to make it happen brings me so much happiness. And even now it gives me energy and reminds me that peace is available in any moment with some presence. All is well. I have good insurance. I have a great employer and co-workers who are providing compassionate, unwavering support. And my meditation students are coordinating help for my lengthy recovery time. Family and friends are rallying round. My heart is very full today with all the love I'm receiving. Know that I send this with love and gratefulness to all of you. Please be happy and feel some of the mystery and wonder. Love, Abaya. She's done actually a fair amount of practice. Uh, she sat the two-month uh, course just at Spirit Rock. She uh, sat at IMS during the fall course. She's uh, and I just, as I said, it was so wonderful to get an email from her uh, to that she sent out to a lot of people that she's planning on doing some other longer retreats and um, she's doing okay. Anything can happen at any time. Now you might say, oh wow, gee, that would be, that would be amazing. I wonder how she did it. At some point, every one of us is going to be facing that. It's not just, oh, gee, that's too bad that that happened to her. Every one of us. I don't want to disturb you too much, but this is part of our our curriculum here. But to do it with that grace, to do it with that wisdom and that presence and centeredness, that's inspiring. And it's possible. You know, she is she's a wonderful human being. She's not an extraordinary human being, just a very dedicated person to practice. So I want to go in into um, some exploring of how this works, the Buddha's teaching on how suffering can awaken us and um, lead to the highest happiness. And uh, particularly, I want to explore one teaching from a discourse in the, uh, the co- connected discourses, um, the Samyutta Nikaya. And the discourse is called the, um, what's the name of it again? Actually, the Upanisa Sutta. But the teaching has come to be known as transcendental dependent arising. A very impressive name if you want to show your knowledge to some friends. And to explain it a little bit, I want to um, uh, first talk a bit about dependent origination. How many people are familiar with dependent origination? A few of you, okay. Dependent origination is really the heart of the Buddha's teaching. Besides the Four Noble Truths, what he understood as he sat under the Bodhi tree was how one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. The cause the arising and passing of different conditions and how they lead to suffering and the possibility of them leading to happiness. It's said that, uh, the Buddha said, who, he who under, who, whoever understands dependent origination understands the Dharma. Whoever sees the Dharma sees, understands dependent origination. So it sounds like it's a worth thing, worthwhile thing getting to know. 
it's pretty complex. On the one hand, there's a place that you can you can grasp a bit and say, oh, that's the essence of it. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But it's very deep. And in fact, uh, there's this one exchange that the Buddha had with Ananda, his attendant and sidekick, where Ananda says, you know, I think I really understand dependent origination. Maybe a dangerous opening gambit. Because the Buddha says, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. It's very, very deep. <laughs> and maybe he was, he was saying, there's more to go. To see the real depth of it. I'll explain a little bit, so don't be disturbed if it kind of doesn't completely land and I'm not nearly, probably, I'm sure I'm not nearly as developed as Ananda, that's for sure, so there's more for me to understand but basically, um, you, you, this needs to be understood a little bit to go for the other, the transcendental uh, dependent arising. Dependent origination is, is this wheel. If you've ever seen the wheel of life, sometimes the Tibetans, there's this big image with a, an animal, with a, a kind of like um, Yama, the, the, the god of death, and all of life in this wheel with lots of different pictures and the three poisons in the middle, greed, hatred, and delusion, and the six realms of existence. And on the outside of the wheel are 12 different links with pictures of each link in dependent origination. And it's a causality chain of samsara. Samsara is the wheel of suffering that we keep on going around and around and around that the Buddha said it's actually possible to get off of. Ignorance leads to karmic formations. Karmic formations lead to consciousness. Consciousness lead to uh, nama rupa, the body, mind, material form and uh, and mind. Having a body and a mind, you have six senses. Having senses, you can have contact with objects, like there's the flowers, there's an eye, and there's the brain, the consciousness that can understand that. The three of them come together and that's contact. Once there's contact, there is um, feeling uh, vedna in the sense of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. If it's pleasant, oh, I love those flowers, I want to... Then there's grasping, often. If there's unpleasant, oh, I hate that sight, there's recoiling away, there's aversion. If there's not, then there's just neutrality. But because of contact, there's feeling. Often when there's feeling, vedna, there is craving, either wanting or wanting to move away from it. Out of craving comes clinging or grasping. That is, you really want it and you're hooked. Out of grasping comes becoming, out of becoming comes birth, death, uh, birth, old age, sickness, death, and out, if, unless you've gotten off the wheel, there's ignorance again that starts the whole thing going around and around and around. So, that's the bad news. Okay? You just, on this wheel of samsara, and your desires are propelling you towards more and more uh, craving and suffering unless you see through them. Just as a, before I go on to the other, um, the transcendental, the, the key in that whole chain is between feeling and craving. We've talked about this here before, but not everybody has been here. If you see something and you really like it, 
it's pleasant, if it's very pleasant, if you get seduced into thinking, I've got to have it, you got hooked. If you can notice, oh, this is very pleasant, but I don't have to have it for my happiness. That is where the chain is broken. Where the craving doesn't get activated. And there's simply appreciation. Oh, that's a, um, a beautiful human being. I can appreciate them without wanting them. That is uh, uh, you know, a, a lovely experience. I can feel it and take it in without wanting more. <clears throat> that was a delicious dessert. Maybe one portion is enough. So to appreciate it fully without getting into that craving, that's a way to break that chain. There's this other teaching that starts with the last link in dependent origination and instead of it going around and around and around, it's a way off the wheel. It's like drawing a tangent and getting off the wheel and going up and going higher and higher and higher until the highest happiness is experienced. And this is how it goes. The last portions of the dependent origination are old age, sickness, death, and you're on again, birth in ignorance. And this teaching, old age, sickness, and death are put together and instead just called suffering. And that is the beginning of this other list. Suffering, dukkha, can be the causative factor for faith. This is starting to draw the tangent off. How is it the causative factor for faith? Well, suffering wakes us up, doesn't it? And I share this in the, in the joy class. Some of you uh, heard this before, but I just ask you, um, probably most people here are on some kind of spiritual path or another. You know, it's probably a good good bet. Um, how many people came to explore the spiritual path out of some suffering in their life? See, this is not just theory. <laughs> this is how it works. Suffering can lead to bitterness, it can lead to self-pity. It can lead to blame. It can lead to contraction. It can lead to a complete identification. Oh, woe is me or life is terrible. It can have a response where we just want to escape from it either by things that, that we think will make us happier that lead to more craving, behavior that's, that just doesn't serve us in the long run, although in the short term it feels good. It can also lead to a stance of just kind of gritting our teeth and bearing it. You know, at least we're not causing more harm or suffering for ourselves, but it's more like, okay, life is hard and I'll just kind of endure it. can also uh, cause us to look outside and hope for divine intervention, you know, which is, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's not, I mean, it can be very inspiring to look outside of ourselves and, and open up to something larger. But if we're looking for salvation to come from the outside, um, then we can um, 
we can be setting ourselves up for disappointment as well as not seeing that, as the Buddha said, our suffering and our happiness comes from the inside. And seeing that, understanding that we have the possibility to change our relationship to experience and transmute that pain or that sorrow into something uh, much more profound, uh, then we're not looking outside for divine intervention. So, suffering can lead to faith. Two things are required in order for that to happen. First, having a real awareness of the picture that it's not out there, it's not because something happened that shouldn't have happened, but an awareness that suffering is not just my suffering, it's universal. That first noble truth, which changes things a lot because then you're not getting into self-pity. Why is this happening to me? I mentioned this at, uh, at the, the, uh, the joy class this week. My friend Rodney Smith, who's a, a Dharma teacher up in Seattle, ran a hospice for many years up in Seattle area. And he tells a story in a, a book about his experience about this uh, 95-year-old woman who lived an extraordinarily blessed life. And at 95, she gets this terminal um, diagnosis. And so hospice comes in, Rodney meets her. And her, her comment is, why me? <laughs> That's not seeing the big picture here. So first, an awareness that it's part of life and also an exposure to a teaching that can hold suffering in a different way. An encounter with, in this instance, with the Dharma. To hear the Dharma, this is an incredible blessing. Do you remember, let's just take a moment, do you remember what brought you to the Dharma that turned you in the direction of looking for answers that led to some deepening faith and wisdom? Just go inside for a moment and reflect. What happened there? How did suffering somehow point you in the direction of faith? You remember? just remembering uh, the line that Ramdas would say all the time, suffering is grace. Actually, his name Karoli Baba Maharaji, his, his guru, would say, don't you see, suffering is grace, suffering is grace. It seems like such a strange line, suffering is grace. And yet, it is. Because it points us in a different direction where we want to see what it's all about, come to some understanding. So, faith is likened to a hand that's needing to take hold of some beneficial practices that can lead to greater understanding. Suffering deepens compassion, not only for our own predicament, but to see the universality of it. And I've said this before, I'll just say it again now. Compassion, one of the divine abodes, one of the sublime states, and it needs suffering because compassion is loving kindness in the presence of suffering and it touches the heart. It's not that the suffering is a sublime or divine abode, but the caring that gets evoked is a divine state. 
So that leads to faith. And then the next one, faith leads to joy. Or it depends on the translation. Sometimes this is called gladness. Sometimes it's called joy. The word in Pali is pamoja, which is a kind of uplifting of the heart. When you found the Dharma or found something that seemed to give you some bearings so you weren't just flailing all around, lost, saying, my God, there's no way out. When you found, I'll talk about for me, when I found the teachings and I saw there was a real possibility of not only getting out of my misery, but to awaken, that brought a tremendous uplifting enthusiasm, inspiration. Wow, I found it. I found a refuge. This is the, the first and, and profound experience of refuge in the Dharma. I found a refuge in the Dharma. That line from Shantideva, as a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed. Wow. That's joy. That's gladness. That's pamoja, this feeling of inspiration. That joy or gladness leads to um, rapture. And this is where it gets more from the inspiration and the brightness to more formal practice. Because when the mind becomes very shiny and bright and inspired, when there's a lot of faith, you want to practice diligently. Not because you're a good boy or a good girl and you'll you know, be told by a teacher, oh, you're doing a good job. But when you start to have a touch, a taste of the Dharma and of practice, when you get those first glimpses, it's so compelling, you just want to keep on going back. And that starts to, it can bring about a sense of real delight Sometimes, not always, these are all causative conditions, not guaranteed. You do this and you automatically get this, but these are supportive conditions. When you collect the awareness, there can be a sense of rapture that comes. Not usually in daily practice, but in intensive practice when the supportive conditions are ripe and the mind becomes collected, there's a real brightness This is so delicious. Now, I don't want to set you up for anything because you can do retreats and maybe for, you know, five or ten retreats, you know, you're working through your dukkha and that's fine. Maybe 20 retreats, who knows? But at some point when you stop fighting the experience, um, there are moments where the mind can become quite tranquil and Joy, real joy and rapture arise. That joy leads to, or rapture, leads to uh, tranquility. That is, the mind becomes very collected and that tranquility is a kind of uh, more refined happiness. It's different from so from, um, uh, from a kind of exuberance and brightness, there's just a softening, an evening. There's a, a sense of deep contentment. And from that kind of happiness, tranquility leading to happiness, it's called sukha. There's dukkha <laughs> and there's sukha. And if you had a choice... <laughs> Go for the sukha. But in this world of no preferences, you just kind of take what you get. (laughs) Happiness 
again, in a more meditative mode, is a sense of um, um, beginning concentration, access concentration, where the mind is is uh, developed enough where there's stretches of mindfulness or it can also go into more concentrated states. That leads to deeper states of concentration where you can then see the arising, using that concentration, you can see the arising and passing of phenomena. And there's a tremendous freedom that starts to happen when you see, oh, it really is all passing. You start to see, what was I holding on to in the first place? Out of that, when you see that arising and passing, after a while, it leads to disenchantment. Like, oh, what am I hankering for? It's like you've broken the spell of the seduction of the next thing that's going to do it for you. Out of disenchantment comes dispassion, real equanimity. And out of equanimity comes the liberated mind. So this is this list of how suffering is the causative factor for not only faith and joy, but complete freedom. So, there are some challenges and some gifts of dukkha. First, some of the gifts. When we open up to it, we often find that we have a resource and capacity in us that we didn't realize was there. So I'm I'm getting off that the loftier aspects of transcendental dependent arising to come back to planet Earth and and just talk about how how relevant this is for us. When you've gone through your suffering, your sorrow, you've probably learned a few things in the process. And when you do you know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Somebody comes into, into the interview room in a retreat and they're saying, I am going through really intense dukkha. Okay. Now, there's a part of me that says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I really feel for that person. And I would tell them that, of course. But there's another part that's saying, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. It's okay. You know, as long as they, there's, there's enough of a container to hold it, it's like, it's okay. Everybody's got to go through this. If you're familiar with the hero's journey, you know, whether it's uh, the Buddha or Jesus or um, all the great archetypes of heroes, if you know Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, everybody's got to go through in their quest facing the depths of of pain and despair and their own demons before they awaken to their full capacity, their full nature. So it's really exciting for me. You know, if it's the last day of the retreat, that's not quite as exciting because you want to have people be able to go through the, the process. But if they can hang in there just a little at a time, just take doses of it. You just touch it, open up as much as you can, regroup and realize that you don't have to be overwhelmed. You don't have to be so frightened of touching it that a little each time there's a tremendous gift in there. There's a power and a wisdom inside that we didn't realize was there. It's something to keep in mind when you're going through your hard stuff. Think of all the times that you've encountered that in your life, that you went through your own hell realm, that you might have said, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this one, that you got through. Anybody not know what I'm talking about? We forget though while we're in the middle of it. 
we think, uh-oh, this time I'm really stuck. But when you think of all the lessons, all the growth, all the growing pains that you've gone through by having the courage to face your own pain and demons, this is what flexes our not only compassion muscle, but wisdom muscle and presence muscle and courage muscle. So there's tremendous gifts in that. Some things to keep in mind as you are going through your sorrow or your hard times. Besides the fact that you've gone through so many and you don't have to figure out how you'll get through this. It's like the awareness will meet it rather than projecting into the future. This is where the problem comes in. If you think, oh my God, it's pretty tough now, but what about tomorrow? Or what about next week? What if it never ends? As soon as you project into the future, you are going to get into some trouble. Because our future projections in that contracted state probably don't have a lot of ease and well-being on the horizon. That's not what the mind creates in that confusion. The refuge is just coming back to the present. This moment is workable. Okay, it's pretty... I I told that story uh, last week or the week before about... uh, that uh, when I faced my fear and just, whoa, I don't know, this might be tough. Come on back. You don't know about next week. Right now. Just be here right now. So there's refuge in the present. Staying in the present, it's workable. And realizing that it's all impermanent. Seeing that dukkha is not solid. That you might have some very difficult moments or a really rough patch. But within that, there are moments not to be missed, where there might be even forgetting all your problems. You you see some kids playing. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, I'm really depressed. I almost forgot. (laughs) You don't have to wear that as your cloak. Yeah, I almost forgot I'm depressed there for a while. You You don't have to go there. Oh, yeah. Right in the middle of your blue or dark period, where you can smile, where you can take delight, where you can appreciate life. The more you can notice those moments, the less solid the dukkha is. And in a main practice that I have is not only acknowledge them, but let yourself feel them. It nourishes your whole spirit. To non-identify, to not take it personally, to remember rather than, why me? This is part of life. What am I learning from this? That's the key. Not only to feel what you're feeling, to have the willingness to feel what you're feeling mindfully, just in small doses. This is pretty intense. Wow. To bring mindfulness, to feel it, not get lost in the story, but really feel the experience. And to see that you're learning something valuable that can be a gift to everybody else. This is quite extraordinary gift of suffering and of dukkha. I won't get into the different exercises. We've done RAIN here before where you recognize, allow, and and, uh, bring an investigation and not identify. Where you can get in touch with your own wisdom and compassion where you can open up, have like-minded friends and all the support, refuge in the Sangha, as Oren will talk about next week. Many, many gifts. These are all part of your Dharma journey to explore and, and understand. But to really get that suffering is not a mistake. It's not, it doesn't have to be an obstacle. It is a necessary ingredient for your awakening. And when you can hold it in that way, it gets very exciting and juicy. And it leads to not only joy, but the highest happiness.
So mm. maybe have time for one question. Or so if there's anything on on your mind. So, okay, speak up and I'll say it out loud. So, you know, I was wondering about the transcendental Yeah, here, Kate, um, why don't you, we can just go ahead, keep on going. So, when you yeah. get to the CRT capacity, and then they call it disenchantment. Yeah. So, when you get to the disenchantment part, uh-huh. my personal experience is that doesn't really describe the experience, disenchantment. It's more like a profound grief. There, in this particular um, uh, delineation, it it doesn't go into all the all the finer parts of that process that lead to disenchantment. Actually, if you look at the progress of insight, there is everything dissolving. There's dissolution. There's fear. Dread, okay. loathing, <laughs> disgust. This is kind of the finer connecting the dust, uh, the, uh, connecting the dots. Dissolution, fear, dread, loathing, disgust, disenchantment. So. Oh, that's good. I feel better. Not <laughs> <laughs> make you feel better? No, really, it does. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't just say, oh. Okay, I got it. That's it. It's like uh, the, the the image that I that I or the uh, illustration that I use is like uh, uh, Luke Skywalker going into uh, battle his demons before he finally gets out. You know, Yoda says, "Okay, here's the final test. You want to jump the gun, and you think you're ready? Go in there. Here's your lightsaber. Go into that cave and meet your deepest, darkest demon." Good luck, and you go through the hell realm. You go through fear. You go through terror. You go through, you go through it all, and that's part of the purification that leads to the disenchantment. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, <laughs> on that. Cheery note. <laughs> See, this, this is the thing. You, know, you don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to slay your dragon. It's not like one of you is going to come out alive. You just take it in small doses. When you're feeling your fear, you don't have to be completely engulfed in it. Just take it a little at a time. Wow. Ooh, that's and then you can regroup. Then you nourish yourself. You find ways to bore yourself up and have enough energy and vitality that you can go for the next wave. Each time, little by little. You don't have to do it all in one day. But just know that that is, uh, um, is a, a gift of the Dharma, not an obstacle. So, just feel your own good heart and breathe in benevolent energy from around you. Breathe it right inside, right into your heart. Let it fill your being. Let it awaken all the goodness inside. And as you breathe out, just generate, radiate that benevolent, kind energy out. Extend it outward. And then send some kind, loving thoughts to yourself. Get in touch with that place that's really rooting for your happiness. That says, I do want to be happy. Just access that place. And send those thoughts to yourself. May I open up to all the happiness in my life. May I learn to open to suffering with wisdom and kindness and compassion. 
may I feel all the love that's inside and learn to share it well. May I awaken to my true nature and know the highest happiness. Remember who I really am. And then to extend these thoughts to everyone here and to all beings in all directions, including those in Tibet, including those in Burma, including those in Iraq, including those right here in our own country who are in suffering and fear, including those beings who are filled with happiness and agents of happiness for others, including all beings. As I want to be happy, may all be happy. May all find peace in their lives. May all be free of fear. May all share their love well. May all know the highest happiness. And may our coming here together have a rippling effect and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you very much. Have a great week. And uh, next week, Oren will be here. And the following week, I'll come back and uh, explore gratitude. So have a great week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.